Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, welcome to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis along with Drew Lerner. And today we have another special guest. It's Ahmed Farid of NBC Sports and Peacock. We'll get to him in a moment. But first, don't forget to subscribe to the SMW podcast feed. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Except, of course, for Stitcher, which is going out of business soon. Got that email today. But uh, everywhere else you get your podcasts, you can get the Sports Media Watch podcast. Before we get to Ahmed Farid, let's talk a little bit about the ratings from this past weekend. And we're going to start with the Men's College World Series. Just ended yesterday. Two ridiculous blowouts. Florida, 20-run win on Sunday. And LSU, a 14-run win in Game 3. And yet the numbers were excellent. Game 3, again, 18-4. to That is an eight, a 14-run margin of victory that peaked at 8.30 p.m. because obviously it was a blowout. Still the most watched men's or women's College World Series game ever on the ESPN networks. Obviously, if you go back further, these games are being carried by CBS and presumably were drawing bigger numbers back in the 90s. But in the ESPN era, the most watched men's or women's College World Series game of all time. And again, for an 18-4 win. Uh, The whole series was the most watched on record. And viewership for the full MCWS was up 48% over last year. A tremendous success story, probably for the year, second only to the women's NCAA basketball tournament in terms of year-over-year success. So uh, tremendous numbers. Uh, Second biggest baseball audience of the whole year behind only the World Baseball Classic final. And uh, we talked before about the Women's College World Series, which always does well. These numbers were well in excess 
of what the women's college world series got oklahoma versus florida state game two 1.9 million if i'm fox i'm looking into specifically the men's baseball since fox has major league baseball putting the men's tournament with that with those baseball rights fox has to get in on that that's just too perfect uh, and uh, Fox, their ratings in prime time are awful every single night, even during the TV season. Their most watched shows in prime time are, you know, Jesse Waters and company, which uh, the median age is 75 for those. I mean, Fox has nothing. Fox has absolutely nothing. They need to get the men's college world series and they need to make it best of five. And they need to put all five games on Monday through Friday in prime time on Fox. Free advice, free advice from me. Uh, based on these great numbers from uh, this year. I'll go ahead and bring you in, Drew. Yeah, I mean, well, these numbers blow any, you know, MLB national window out of the water. You know, and that is on Fox, too. A lot of, you know, those most watched national windows for for Major League Baseball. So I think it would make a lot of sense to, you know, have have a, a few nights um, during the Men's College World Series where you, you maybe lead in with a College World Series game into your MLB game. I don't know how how that would really work, given you know how the MLB does their windows, but you know may, maybe it's possible. You could you could lead it into a West Coast game, maybe. Yeah. Um, but you know I, I don't really have much more to add to that, honestly. I, you know it's we've talked about spinning it off. You know it's it's more than valuable enough to do that, just like the the uh, softball. You know it i think it'll happen there's there's value to be had there and then the nca you know they they, they need the money so <laughs> yeah it all needs to be spun off it, yeah. this is the most ridiculous rights deal in history 48 whatever million dollars and these events are all doing so well women's college basketball men's and women's college world series i'd even say i mean granted i don't know how much money you could get for it but if i'm looking at the college gymnastics yep. why isn't that on nbc they're all in on gymnastics all the time with the olympics mm -hmm. why don't they have that uh, if i'm nbc i might want the swimming too right isn't the main swimmer you know uh, katie ledecky she's in college right isn't she i mean i think she's out of college by now um <laughs> she, she was in college for a while i think i mean to me you know, for those Olympic sports in particular, I don't know why NBC isn't getting a, a package together. But putting all of these rights together is kind of convenient because realistically, if you happen to be someone who is just an NCAA fan, all you need is ESPN+. Plus. You don't need anything else. You get ESPN+, Plus, you'll get everything from Illinois State Gymnastics all the way through to Cal State you know, whatever, water polo, you'll get all of it just from that. So it's convenient for the viewer, but it doesn't make any sense for the NCAA financially. They can no. get a lot of money for a lot of these things. You could probably get uh, for, I used to think you would have to spin off the men's and college, uh, men's and women's college world series together. But I think you could spin them off separately. I mm -hmm. think you could get two separate, pretty decent packages for those individual events where maybe ESPN keeps the women's and Fox gets the men's because they've got major league baseball or, you know, whoever else wants to come in for the women's side. I think ESPN would be perfect. I mean, that deal's working out pretty well for them. The other thing too, ESPN does a better job with the women's and the men's, you know, the reality of the matter is, I mean, I don't understand how Carl Ravage is the lead voice and he's not there for all three games. You know, I mean, if Carl Ravage is the lead voice of college baseball, 
then he takes a week off from Sunday night football, uh, Sunday night baseball, right? Instead, you have Ravage for game one. Mike Monaco comes in for game two. Ravage for game three. For a best of three series, you got to have your lead boys calling all three games, right? But that's my point of view. All right, John. Another, I don't even want to call it a big viewership story <laughs> because those don't really exist this time of year, but yeah. probably one of the bigger viewership stories of last week was the NBA draft. Set some records. Obviously, Victor Wembanyama going first overall, a major draw. Um, do you have any top line thoughts about the NBA draft viewership? It did quite well. Um, I think it's a good sign for the NBA that Victor Wembanyama has that kind of drawing power. We're not going to get into the game of comparing to past years. The draft, especially, too many caveats, right? Up until 2021, it had never been on broadcast TV. So you have broadcast TV plus cable. That obviously gives it a leg up over the Zion draft in 2019, the LeBron draft in 2003. So, you know, I'm not going to say it was bigger than those. We were talking apples to oranges, but I will say it's big enough. It's a nice, solid number that indicates that people will tune in for Wembenyama, and that's what the NBA needs. The NBA's biggest star is 38 years old. Or if you're in Oakland or San Francisco, the biggest star for you might be 35 years old. Uh, but either way, you know, 35 and 38, you know, they have all these 40 under 40s, right? You know, have you noticed the 40 under 40s? And only in the 40 under 40 are people in their mid-30s, like, presented as young wonderkins, because you're not a wonderkind anymore if you're, like, 35 or up, or, or up. And there's nothing wrong with having a league that has stars who are a bit older, but you're vulnerable. The NBA, the biggest year for the NBA, 1998. The league was really vulnerable that year. Jordan covered up a lot of the problems that the league had building the next generation of stars. And that was the challenge that they had for a solid decade after Michael retired. I don't know if the NBA is quite there yet right now, but, you know, you got to have, you, it can't be Zion and it can't be Ja. So if Wembenyama has some drawing power, hey, that's golden for the league until they get the next American star. Because realistically, whether you're talking about Giannis Otani, Jokic, certainly. The, the, the foreign-born stars, there's a ceiling on how big you're going to be. And the example I always use is Roger Federer. Andy Roddick won one major one time, and he was in commercials for years and had jobs for years in media. Roger Federer, if he was American, would probably be one of the biggest athletes we'd heard of in the past 50 years. All right. Um, one more uh, sports media story I wanted to touch on before we uh, get to the interview with Ahmed Farid. This is really kind of hits close to home in our neck of the woods. Yeah. Uh, Showbuzz Daily has announced today that on Tuesday, I should say, as we're recording this, that they will be shuttering their operations uh, within the next week. Obviously, you know, an invaluable resource for for people in the industry like us who are talking about these ratings. Um, you know, it's just a treasure trove of information that they have on their site. Not even just with sports, um, all of cable television, broadcast television, they cover it all. Um, I wanted to know if you had some thoughts about Showbuzz Daily. Showbuzz, uh, really, since TV by the numbers went by the wayside, has been the dominant rating site on the internet, uh, all the information that you could ever hope to get uh, presented in a clear and uh, aesthetically pleasing way, uh, which is also a part of it. 
this is not the end of the ratings discussion online. There'll always be places that have the ratings. I, I expect to be able to continue providing the ratings analysis that I've been doing, but the the problem here is not that the ratings are going away. It's that this particular site, which did such a good job of presenting those numbers, is going away. The reality of the internet is 99% of it is people desperately trying to get you to click by you know using SEO tricks, using clickbait. Uh, there's not a lot of content out there that is created by people whose primary goal is to you know give you information, right? JoeBuzz is one of the few places where the goal is to give you information. And the goal is to give you information presented clearly and in a, a way that fosters understanding. Uh, you know, not to be self-aggrandizing, but I consider myself and, and Sports Media Watch to be in that same vein. There's just not a lot of sites like that. It's hard to keep a site going when you are motivated primarily by, you know, your interest in a niche, as opposed to coming out with a strategy of, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to go write 15 articles about Libby Dunn, uh, you know, like that kind of thing. To me, if I had to write about Skip Bayless every day, man, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine, right? To me, what Showbuzz represents and the decline of Showbuzz more than anything represents how difficult it is for quality content to survive on the internet. It's unfortunate because there's been a lot of sites like this for the real aficionado, the real ratings nerd. Uh, that have gone down. Uh, TV by the numbers, Media Life magazine. You ever heard of Media Life magazine, Drew? I think that's before my time. Yeah, yeah, that one. They had a lot of really. I mean, if you, I mean all the ratings information for sports, you know, like big long charts of weekly ratings. You weren't getting that at even Sports Business Journal. Media Life magazine had numbers that you you weren't seeing anywhere else. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, uh, hopefully, you know, we can still continue to, you know, provide the insight. Uh, you know, we take Tuesday evenings. So, uh, you know, uh, show buzz coming out Tuesday mornings has always been really great for us in terms of talking about ratings on the podcast, but I anticipate that we'll continue to, I, I the, the, the only problem here, it's not getting the information. The problem here is just that it's, it's a shame they couldn't keep it going. Yeah, you brought up a great point. It's the, it's the presentation of of the ratings and how you, you said aesthetically pleasing. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It, the the chart that they release weekly, you know, it's very clear what has drawn a good rating, what has not. They have the year versus year comparison with the previous year's week directly below, which makes it very easy to to compare numbers in that regard as well. I mean. It's, this is a huge loss for for people like us that <laughs> care about this stuff and, and like to talk about the ratings. And I'm sure, you know, knowing you, John, that you you will continue to put out some some great ratings content. And you know, maybe may, maybe there's a bit of a black hole, a void to to fill here. And uh, you know, this is something that maybe Sports Media Watch will will take a look at and uh, and start. I I don't, don't want to give you more work, John, but you know, may, maybe this is you know something that. Uh, could could come to this website who knows well i'll try you know i'll, I'll try to keep it going um and there's other websites as well that, that write about uh, the ratings in a in in, a, in not to the same level of depth one thing that showbuzz did and i almost wonder if they're doing it for my benefit because i'm the only person who still writes about household ratings i've been told by people in pr 
that I'm the only person who asks about household ratings. Uh, Show Buzz would always put the household ratings out there. Programming Insider and uh, the great Doug Coochie, he, he does that as well. But uh, Show Buzz really had, you know, was, was a place to get uh, for, for, for live sports. One of the last places where the household rating is is uh, even discussed. So, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great knit site and uh, too bad they couldn't keep it going. But I'm certainly uh, grateful they came back because remember, they went away two years ago. And that was a lot tougher. Uh, when they went away two years ago, because, uh, you know, that was um, just a, uh, coming right back out of COVID, everything is still jumbled. That was a, a much more difficult one. I'm grateful they came back for two more years after that. All right, so that's enough of us. We have a great guest today, Ahmed Farid of NBC Sports and Peacock. We're going to discuss his career path, his role on the Peacock Major League Baseball coverage, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview. All right, and we are happy to be joined this week by another special guest. This time it is Ahmed Farid of NBC Sports and Peacock. Uh, we are happy to be joined by him. And Ahmed, how are you doing as we enter the slow period for most people in this industry, but full steam ahead for you covering baseball? We're like in the middle of 19 weeks. We got one week off for baseball because of the London series. Um, but other than that, I am yeah, traveling on the road, 19 ballparks throughout the Eastern half of the country. And uh, on our week off, we got a new golden retriever puppy. Mm -hmm. So it's like actually harder on this week off than it is during the week. Um, but uh, no, happy to, happy to talk to you guys, John. You know, I've, I've listened to you for a, for a while now and enjoyed all of your, uh, your takes on sports and everything else that's going on too. So um happy to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, well, why don't we just dive right into the Peacock discussion? Uh, this is a very different assignment. Beyond anything else, these games are, for the most part, starting in the morning. So right off the bat, how different is that to be working Major League Baseball games that are starting at 11 a.m. on a Sunday? Is that kind of like when you're growing up, you got to get to church on Sunday and you don't want to get out of bed? You know, is, is it kind of like that? A lot of these players and managers are like, I don't think I've played a game this early since my Little League days or taking my kid to Little League. And so it is kind of a throwback. And that was part of the idea. You know, part of the idea was to have an exclusive window for Major League Baseball, which there really isn't a whole lot of. Even those Fox games have other games going on regionally at that time. So I like the fact that when we're starting at 1130, we have two hours of, of exclusive baseball, nothing else going on. You got to go to Peacock for it. Start your baseball Sunday with us. So I think the idea right off the bat was was cool. And then to have an analyst from both teams um, with us too. Uh, we're so protective of our teams. I grew up a Detroit Tigers fan and I grew up with Al Kaline and George Kell and Mario Mpemba and Rod Allen after that. And those are just our guys, right? And so to have one of those guys in our broadcast booth with Brendan Burke this year, Jason Benetti last year, I think has helped us a lot. But I like the morning, the morning baseball. It, it's, it depends kind of when you talk to the players, if they're a morning person or not, if they're really going to enjoy it. If they have kids, more likely they're going to like it because they're already up early in the morning. Um, but some of our games have been ending at 2, 2.30. And players are like, man, it's like another off day uh, for us. And Aaron Judge did not play in our game, so it was like two off days for him. So it's, I've enjoyed it. I think uh, most, of the, most of the players have enjoyed it once they've experienced it. Of course, you got to get into the whole how do I find Peacock and the frustrations with where's my team playing, which are totally fair. 
Um, but hopefully when people land on Peacock and they watch the broadcast, they, they, they see that we have been caretakers of their team for a day and hopefully they enjoy the broadcast. I saw you running the bases after a game the other day. Uh, not sure where that was, but that, that was Detroit, right? Where you did it that? was Detroit. Yeah. It was so, Detroit, Michigan. Yeah. So uh, what went into, uh, what went into that? Is that your normal level of energy after doing a morning? <laughs> well, I was, I was working with Nick Swisher that day. And so there's no level of energy that I can have that will even come close to 50% of Nick Swisher on even an off day. Um, no, you know, it's, it's one of those shows where we've, we've said from the get-go, let's celebrate the game. Let's have fun with it. Let's take the game seriously. Let's not take ourselves too seriously. And so that was one of those situations where Nick has taken a few games off. And so he wasn't going to be around for a while. So I was like, Hey, it just came to my mind. We didn't plan that. It was just one of those things. We had 30 seconds left in our post-game show that can go between 10 minutes and 15 minutes. I mean, we're streaming. We have no, we have no rules. It's just like, we'll get off whenever we want to get off. So it popped into my head. I was like, let me just let Nick get us off the air. I will run around the bases, fulfill a childhood dream of running the bases in Detroit and uh, be like a kid again, which is kind of what we want people to feel when they watch our broadcast. And so, I don't know. I didn't know if it was going to look cool or dumb or or what it was going to be well received or not. I just got the idea and I did it. And I felt it was in the in the theme of our broadcast that we do on Peacock. Yeah. And I will note, the music is the old 1980s NBC music. So it was probably a little extra childhood if you were watching it after the fact, right? You probably well, would never yes. have dreamed when you were a kid. Yes. Oh my gosh. No, not, not at all. And, like, and that's part of it too. It's like, we've got the history of, of NBC, which maybe a lot of people watching don't even know the history of NBC baseball. It was I, when it was really big was when I was really young too. So I'm not even that familiar with it. Um, but it's kind of like, yeah, it's, we've got the old hokey music this week in baseball type music for some of our pregame show too. And it's just the stuff when I was 10, 11 years old that got me into baseball. And hopefully it still kind of sparks that in people as they listen. Ahmed, I, I know you guys like to, you know, highlight a lot of the local traditions or whatnot that happen at these stadiums uh, during your games, but I'm kind of curious what the fan atmosphere is like for these early morning starts. Uh, I mean, this is not something that fans are accustomed to, and, you know, they might only get it one time a year anyway. Um, do, do fans actually show up to these games? What's the atmosphere like? It, it, it depends. I think sometimes it's a later arriving crowd. You will see kids and families with young kids there pretty early a lot of times. Um, but, but yeah, I think the early start time, it just throws people off. First of all, it's not in the routine. And so you will see crowds trickle in later on. But I think for most, it's probably in the range of what they normally do. Like we were at Wrigley last time. The place was packed. I mean, they're going to be packed no matter when they play the game. Um, it was an awesome atmosphere, probably the best atmosphere that we have had on MLB Sunday leadoff. Um, Atlanta has had some issues because they can't sell alcohol, I believe, in Georgia before huh. noon. And so uh, and they have church and a lot of people go to church in Georgia. And so that I know that has caused some some issues. So I think, yeah, first pitch, maybe some of the crowds are a little down, but we went to Tampa too. And that was a really good crowd. And they've historically not had great crowds there, but they're excited about their team. And they showed up at 1130 to watch the Dodgers. Now, a lot of those fans were rooting for the other team too. But, um, but yeah, it, I think it's in the range of, of, of possibilities. But I think for the, again, the young families, it's just like, hey, cool, you got young kids, you're up anyway. Yeah, definitely. Um, something I wanted to get at, um, just given the structure of, of this broadcast, you know, it, it does start early in the morning. You, you have to go to Peacock to find it. You know, people aren't getting their hometown announcers, although you do say you get an analyst from each team, which is great. 
what are you guys doing, you know, knowing that you're kind of starting behind the eight ball here to, to kind of win those fans over? That's a good, that's a really good question. Um, and I feel like if you try to win them over, you're already like behind. I, I think that Major League Baseball has has done that. You know, it's like, how do, how do you get kids involved, right? Well, when I was a kid, how, why, why did I like baseball? Because my mom liked it and my grandma liked it. And so I liked it. And so if there are people in your life that find baseball fun and exciting, then you as a kid will find baseball fun and exciting. And so I think that's the idea with, with our broadcast is that, yes, people are going to complain that they got to go to a new streaming service. And I get that. I mean, that makes total sense. I'd rather just watch my team in the same place every day. But I think it also does give us, when other people are doing games, it gives you a chance to see how other people do it and some innovation. And I think that is needed on some of these regional broadcasts. Uh, they're great. I love regional broadcasts. I was in San Francisco. Crook and Kite were awesome. You cannot do better than Crook and Kite. What we can only do is do us as well as we can and be the best version of who we are. And like I said before, not take ourselves too seriously. Celebrate the game. Show maybe some of the things that happened in the week that people didn't see and celebrate the more nuanced parts of baseball. The thing I think that that helps us is we all love baseball. Like baseball is my my number one sport, has been since I was growing up a Tigers fan back in the day watching Cecil Fielder bomb home runs over the roof at Tiger Stadium. So we all love baseball and we try to bring that enthusiasm through to the, the viewer and and bring them along. And we understand we're caretakers for a day. You probably wish you had both of your local announcers, but hopefully you see our broadcast and say, you know, hey, those Peacock guys weren't, weren't too bad. And that was actually pretty fun. Do you guys ever get compared to the the Friday nights on Apple TV? I, I think you guys are both kind of going for similar uh, vibes in terms of more lighthearted, knowing that you're, you're kind of parachuting in for a game. Uh, have you heard any of those types of comparisons? Uh, you know, you do hear... You know, you hear it both ways, right? It's like, ooh, Apple does this really well. Oh, you guys do this really well. I think that there are things that they do differently and better. I think some of um, their ideas have been good, but, you know, not not a bunch. It's, I, I don't think you can compare because once you start doing that, you try to start copying and then you're like copying each other and like, what is that? Is that, is that you or is that you're doing that because now you think that's popular? And so we try to stay true to what our game plan was from the get-go. And part of that was, you know, having the local announcers, in, which honestly, like, I didn't know how well that would work right away because for Brendan Burke and last year, Jason Bernetti, like they did, they'd never worked with these guys before. And they're basically meeting them and talking to them two hours before first pitch on a Sunday. Um, but, but those conversations in the booth, sometimes, sometimes it turns into more of a podcast than a baseball game, which usually is not ideal. Um, but for our games, it brings out some conversations that one analyst is actually curious to ask the other analyst things about his team and it sparks these conversations that you don't get on just your hometown broadcast. And so I think if we can do different, better and bring different things. And there have been people that have said that we had Jack Morris last year. And I know some tiger fans said like, man, Jack Morris was, was awesome on the Peacock broadcast. I wish he was this version. Every time we hear him on the Valley sports broadcast um, and Jack was awesome to work with too. But I think it just kind of brings out more in these analysts. So they're familiar faces, but they're kind of maybe put in a little bit different role when they do the Peacock games. Yeah, very interesting stuff about just kind of the nuances of this broadcast. I am curious. These games are on Peacock every week, but once a year you have a game on NBC. Do those NBC games, do they feel bigger? Do you go into them trying to make them feel bigger or is it business as usual? We basically do them like we do any other game. So last year it was our very first game. It was the NBC game. 
uh, right after the Kentucky Derby. We were at Fenway Park and it was the White Sox. And uh, that was crazy because that was the idea. We wanted to do it on the Sunday after the Kentucky Derby to get a little bit of that you know, promotion at the Derby. Mike Tirico at the desk talking about MLB Sunday leadoff. And then I'm flying because I still do. I do horse racing for NBC. So I was at Louisville. And then one of the few times in my life I've gotten to take the big kid shuttle and uh, charter across to, to uh, our first game. I, I did that for Atlanta this year, too. So it felt different last year because it was our first game. We had no idea what we were doing or what we were getting ourselves into. Now, this year, it was we started a couple weeks early because we had a rain out last year. And so it was our second game in Atlanta. Um, but no, we tried to just do it the way we normally do it. And because I'm getting in so late the night before, I, I'm just like, I, I feel like I'm even less prepared on that show than I am on some of the other shows. So you just have to wing it, which fortunately for our show, it usually works out better if we just, we just wing it because we, we had Cameron Maben on for the first time last week in, in Chicago and he was awesome. Played for a bunch of teams, played for my Detroit Tigers a couple of times. And he was struck because he's worked with a lot of regionals. He's worked with Fox too. We, our producer told him, he's like, we don't, we don't really rehearse. We'll go over kind of like what we're going to say, but once we get on the field, just like let it fly. And whatever comes to mind, comes to mind. We don't want it to be staged or you don't want to have canned lines that you've said a bunch of times in rehearsal. And he found that very refreshing and kind of questioned it too. He's like, so wait, we're not, we're not rehearsing at all. Um, I love it. So for us, it's kind of, you know, grip it and rip it, I guess, in a, in a way. And so that applies to the NBC game too. And one of the things that you do in these games, you get the color, obviously, of the stadium. You talked about you running the bases before, but you also do interviews during the game as well, which is a little bit different. I mean, you do see that in, in, in some games, but, you know, what is that like for you in terms of, do you ever feel like uh, sometimes you can feel the audience kind of complaining about not getting the actual game in? Do you ever get that sense? Yeah, you know, we keep them pretty quick. We're two questions and out, and we tape them right after the, the final pitch of the previous inning. So we're, we're in between innings there. So I'm not in the dugout while the game's happening, which does kind of bother me a little bit too. It's just like, it's probably good for the manager to be aware of what's happening and be fully focused on the game. Um, not that we would turn down a manager if he wanted to do that in the future, but we do the two questions and then uh, I'm done. So basically I'm, I'm running onto the field with our camera guy. If you're ever in the stadium and see me there, They'll just see me holding my, my IFB and my mic packed, trying to get to the manager as quickly as possible so we can tape this in the, the two minutes that we, that we have. But, you know, I try to, I try to keep those interviews game specific. What's happened in the game? What has the manager seen so far? Was there an early home run? Was there a player that stood out so far? Let's keep it game specific. And then if there's not a whole lot that's happened so far, what would a fan of the team be interested in hearing? Cause I think that's, you know, we talk about this a lot with the the, the Philly cheesesteak problem in Philadelphia. It's like every broadcast that goes to Philadelphia is like, hey, try the Philly cheesesteak. Da, 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 da. And everyone that's a Phillies fan is like, oh, my God, we're hearing about the cheese every time. And we've done this many times. So we're very conscious of that. And so we're conscious of that in interviews, too. It's just like, have the local fans heard this question asked a bunch of times? And if they have, can we ask it in a different way that maybe advances or it's a little different here? So those are the things I'm keeping in mind. And so. If you don't ask dumb questions, hopefully the audience doesn't hate the interview as much as they normally would, I guess is what I say, John. Well, a lot of interesting stuff about MLB Sunday leadoff, but you do have a career that is much broader than baseball. You've also done 
the Olympics for NBC as well. Uh, curious, you mentioned uh, before, uh, before we started taping, you know, just kind of being around Stanford, Connecticut when the Olympics is going on. And obviously a lot of NBC's people are there. What is that experience like during a summer Olympics uh, on that campus? You've got all these play-by-play voices all hours of the night. Uh, what, what's a typical Olympic day like? It's just always on. So that's basically for Tokyo and Beijing because of the, the different time zones and the Asian Olympics is that we were on, we were on 24-7. It was an eight-hour, sh- there were three eight-hour shifts on USA Network. And I had the two, in the summer games, I had the 2 a.m., to 10 a.m. shift, which is not ideal, but it did have some live events in it, which was awesome. And so we handed out some live gold medals on USA just because of the time zone difference. And then Beijing, I, I bumped up a little bit. I was able to do prime time and 6 p.m. until 2 a.m. But you're right. It's like a lot of the games are being called by analysts who are in the building in VO booths, video voiceover booths, um, giant rooms in our building in Stanford, Connecticut. And so we'll have them on at halftime of some basketball games and get to pick their brains about what's happened in this game so far. And so in a lot of ways, you know, everyone wants to go to the Olympics and there are fewer and fewer people who are actually traveling to the Olympics um, now for NBC. It's just the way it is. For the big sports, we'll always have the voices there calling it. Uh, But for some of the other sports, we have our guys back, back home, which is great for us. And it gives us more of an opportunity in the studio to, to, to get some of the storylines and expand on, on these and, and dig a little deeper. So it, it's crazy. You had Matt Weiner on last week and I talked to Matt in the building. Uh, he was doing handball for the first time. And that's the cool thing about it. People are flexing new muscles and trying new skills and seeing if they can learn something on the fly in the biggest stage. And he did a great job, but I had watched him in, in Grand Rapids, local news growing up. And he was one of the first guys when he got to ESPN started doing Turner and NBA that was like, wow, People can move up. This is actually, you go local news and then it does happen for some people. It's not all just the, the Dan Patrick's and Keith Olbermans that just pop up on your TV on ESPN. So um, the, the people that you meet doing the Olympics and those relationships, because it's 21 days in a row and you have no off days and you're sleeping in a hotel and you're, you're working 12 hour shifts, basically, you make some lifelong friends there um, because you, you, go through a, you go through an experience that's at the pinnacle of sports broadcasting, but also it's very, very hard to do and so you feel the sense of accomplishment when you're when you're done with it is it a little bit like those old espn ads uh you know everyone's in bristol you got all the athletes is it a little bit like that uh, <laughs> in stanford it is it is because yeah you have olympians who are there that never bring their gold medals i don't know why i always just like do you have your gold medal i guess they don't want to travel with their gold medals but i was like it'd be a great prop on set here um but yeah it, it is like that and you you I always get my researcher to give me all the credentials. Like, can you just give me all the credentials so I can introduce them? And, and most of the time I'm like, well, I can't say all that. And it's like X, for, for winter games, for sure. It's like X games finalists, da, 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 this, that, this. World's gate, world's number one gold medalist. So um, no, it, it is cool. And, you, you, the, and the, the cool thing is that a lot of different places, and Matt talked about this, allow their talent to come and do the Olympics. And so you get some crossover, some people that maybe I never would have met before um, come into the studio and talk to us um, those three weeks. And so I, I, I love it. It's hard, but I love doing Olympics every couple of years. Is there a, um, like a sport that maybe you've keyed in on uh, over your years covering both the winter and summer games that uh, you would have never thought you would actually enjoy broadcasting? 
You know, I, I've thought of this and I was like, I've got to, because I get asked this. They're like, what's the sport that really you like? And I, I can't get one, but I, I think that's the beauty of the Olympics is that every one of them is interesting for the three weeks that you have them, right? Because you just have, for most of them, you haven't seen for so like big air. It's like some of these acrobatic big air in the winter games where they're up and they're doing like 980s, I think now, um, which I was trying to add that all up and trying to figure out exactly how many rotations that is. Um, but that's awesome to see for a night of the games, right? You're, like if you were to watch that for four years or what, like maybe you'd be like, okay, I've seen it all now. But every single sport for the Olympics, like wrestling and fencing, you just watch it for a couple hours and you're just like, man, this is really cool. And especially if the stakes are high, right? If you've gotten to the point where a medal is on the line or it's single elimination and you've got a gold medal favorite on the cusp of being knocked out. Um, so I wish I had an answer for you for a specific sport, but it really is like they're all cool for the two or three weeks that we have them. And, and, and I think that's why it's, it's nice that NBC is able to find different spots for them. They're not all on prime time NBC with Mike Tirico, but they will find a home on CNBC with wrestling or USA network with us. And so every, every sport in the, in the Olympics deserves its time to shine. And I think, I think it does for us every, every few years. So one of the interesting things about your career is that you are one of, you know, 16 million Syracuse alums in this <laughs> business. Uh, it's, uh, this is a school that you go to. You go to Syracuse if you want to be in this business. This is Mike Tirico, uh, you know, uh, I think Sean McDonough too, right? Yep. Sean McDonough. Yeah, I, I would not start naming people, John. You're going to leave so many people off. That's true. That's true. So that's a good out for me. Uh, yeah. But when you so when you go to a Syracuse, you are going with the intention of being a sportscaster, or did you just go to Syracuse and then kind of, you know, find your way there? So I say this to a lot of people. I I definitely started thinking about where I wanted to go to college my freshman year of college because I went to Michigan State close to home. I applied late to Michigan, didn't get in there, applied to Michigan State, got in there. And so I was at during, during my freshman year at, at Michigan State, I started thinking like, ah, if I want to do this broadcast journalism thing, it's, I can't really do it here. I had a good print program at Michigan State, but in the broadcast, they didn't really have. And so I'm reading a U.S. News and World Report, and it's just like, broadcast for you, Syracuse University. I'm like, well, that sounds like a pretty good place to go. So maybe I should I should apply there. And so I got super lucky. I, I applied to transfer and they don't accept a whole lot of transfers. And I, I got in and so spent three years there and interned at the radio station uh, Z89 there, which is kind of like the you know, WAER, which a lot of the big names have gone to. Um, but Z89 was the station that's a little smaller that gives you more chances to do things. And so I, I did that while I was over there. But definitely, I definitely went over there with the idea, like, why why can't I? do this. And I remember thinking that in high school, then they had career day and pick your career that you want. And I was like, I'm going to pick sports broadcaster. And I remember just being shocked that more people didn't pick that. I was like, why would you not want this? And so I definitely went to Syracuse with that intention of, of doing this, working my way up through the local news ranks and going around from spot to spot around the country. And that really excited me too. It's like, I, I would love to see different parts of the country. And so you get to Syracuse and you realize that you're not alone. A lot of people want to do that, but you also realize after the first year or two that it might not happen because I sent out 150 resume tapes all over the country, all small stations. I was not shooting too high. I mean, basically every small market I sent a tape to, 
and just heard no after no after no until finally in Lansing, Michigan, you, you hear a yes and you're the weekend guy there. Um, and you and you look at all those guys that, that and, and gals that wanted to do the same thing in Syracuse and they made it, they just didn't get that yes, right? And it could have been me too. Like if I don't get that yes, do I stick it out for another six months, another year? Do I go three years without a job? Probably not. And so then I move on and do something else. And so you've got to want to do it. You got to also get really lucky. And so I, I feel fortunate that I've kind of found a path and now the path has taken me to, to NBC. Out of curiosity, who are, who are some of the other folks we would be familiar with who were at Syracuse with you when you were there? I'm terrible with names, but like Andrew Catalan was there when I was there. Carter Blackburn was there. Um, so, uh, and, uh, I'm going to blank on the name. Uh, Adam Shine was there while I was there. So uh, there's been a lot of people that have, um, in my time, it was 99 through 2002 that have um, gone on to do really good things. And so, yeah, no, no pressure when you see a lot of your other classmates succeeding and doing great things and doing the, getting the national gig at like 27 years old. That's definitely something that, you know, I was, I was local news for the first let me count nine years of my career. I was in Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia, Wavy TV, NBC affiliate for five years where I met my wife and I would have stayed there. I would have stayed there forever. I really, I honestly would have. I liked it. We were living by the beach and I was like, this is cool. Weekend sports guy. Didn't make very good money, but I was like, okay, it's enough to survive. And so let's just do this. But my agent got me an interview at MLB Network and the rest is, is history. After that, I started to get the, the bigger gigs, but I, I respect, I, I say this to my wife sometimes, it's like, after this is all said and done, maybe we can just go back to local news, relax a little bit, live on the beach, and just um, be one with the community somewhere again. It'll all come full circle at the end. Is that something that's common um, for, you know, local news anchors to have an agent like that? Um, not being someone that's like directly in the industry, it, that seems to be like a big time thing, right? Having an agent. Is that normal to have representation? Yeah, I, I, I got lucky and I don't know anymore, right? So I don't know, but at the time, uh, my, my agent was, or Ben Stauber was working for IMG and his job, and Ben's over at, at CBS now, his job was to seek out up and coming talent at some of the local stations and just email them and contact them and see if they'd be interested in representation. And so it caught me out of the blue. It was after three years at... Um, at Norfolk. And so I think I was 27 at the time when he contacted me and I was like, all right, what's the, what's the deal? Do I have to pay you money right away? And he's like, no, 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 no. Um, he's like, but, but we'll take 10% of your first job. And so I was like, okay, 10% of a future cool job. I think I can sign up for that. And it took a while. I was like, let's just shoot for the moon. Cause I like it where I am at Virginia beach. And so let's just wait. And if an opportunity comes, it comes, if it doesn't, you're not out any money, you're out of some time, but I'm not out any money. We'll just see where it goes. And so I, I, I got the MLB gig, and then I've been with IMG, WME, Endeavor uh, ever since. Now with now with Sharon Chang, who is who's taken over, who has been awesome with me this whole time. And I've always told people I'm not great at at networking and knowing the ins and outs of who's in charge at other networks. And so that's what you're that's what you're paying for, and it's an advocate in your corner, right? If, if, if you have to pay some money to have someone in your corner in this crazy business that's changing every two or three years and maybe less now, I think that's money 
money well spent and it's and Sharon's a friend, a lifelong friend now and feels like you're kind of going this together. So I, I think I was lucky to get hooked up with them when I did, but um, I feel lucky that I that I have them still to this day. You know, one of the things about local TV, it's very different working for a local affiliate than working for an RSN. Uh, you've had the opportunity to work in both environments and you were at NBC Bay Area. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, during the Warriors run of uh, championships. Now, what was that experience like, especially compared to kind of maybe a sleepier weekend gig in a small market when you're working in the Bay Area when Steph and Clay are doing their uh, their stuff? Yeah, I was there. The, the first thing that I did when I got there is I covered the Super Bowl with the 49ers and the Ravens, the Harbaugh Bowl. And so it was like right off the bat, I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be different. And so basically I went from the local news and then I went two years at MLB Network. And then after the two years at MLB Network, it's funny, I, 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 told, I told Sharon at that time, I was like, you know what? I, I miss the knowing who I'm talking to. I miss the local community aspect of doing TV. Um, and not, don't get me wrong. I loved MLB Network. I would not be where I am without MLB Network. But at times I felt like I struggled to find who, who am I talking to? Am I talking to a Rockies fan? Am I talking to a Dodgers fan? Am I talking to a generic baseball fan? And so I, I kind of missed knowing my audience. And so I said to her, I was like, can we look at regionals that are out there? And she said, sure, of course. And, and the Comcast regionals. And I went around to Philadelphia and then, then San Francisco. And uh, while I was in this, in San Francisco, it was, it was perfect. I, I met with the managers there and Ted Griggs and Chris Oliver. And they were like, you really you want to do this? You want to go from MLB Network to, to CSN Bay Area is what it was called at the time. And I was like, of course I do, because this is a passionate following. And you've got, you've got great teams here and I can cover the Giants and it'd be my, my dream. And so I, I felt like a fish out of water a little bit at MLB Network. That's where I felt like, do I deserve this? Am I good enough for this? Um, and that probably lasted for the two years that I was there. Still, oh, I always thought that. And then once I got to the Bay Area and was able to kind of vibe with the local audience and get to know my coworkers, and I was there for five years, I felt like, yeah, I, I can do this. This is I can bring my kind of unique perspective and and uh, and personality to, to sports that kind of elevates it a little bit, at least in my mind. And so um, it was kind of growing up. I think I think. Like you said, it was a it was a moment where I realized to myself, it's like, all right, I've got a I've got a lane in this business that I can that I can do and I can do pretty well. And so that gave me the confidence that when NBC Sports, the national brand, came to me when my contract was up in the Bay Area, they said, Hey, would you want to move out to, to Connecticut? If you don't, if you love California, you can stay out there. But you know, we've got some things that you could do out here in, in Connecticut on the national stage. I looked at my wife and of course she's from Virginia and I was like, let's let's go for it. And so built up the confidence in the Bay Area to go to uh, Connecticut and then cover sports that I had never covered before in my life. So I needed that confidence because uh, <laughs> it was shaken a few times for sure. What were some of those sports that you hadn't covered before? Horse racing, uh, rugby. You know, you feel like that with the Olympics every time they come around, you're like, I'm explaining this to everyone. Do I understand the sport uh, completely? But the, the first day I came in, I remember I sat down with uh, with Rob Highland. He was the producer for Football Night in America at the time, and now is the producer of Sunday Night Football. And he was doing the Kentucky Derby and the Triple Crown at the time. And he, I, first day I was in Connecticut, I sat down with him, and he goes, "So he goes, how much do you know about about horse racing? How much do you follow it?" And I was like, "I don't know that much about it." And he goes, "Perfect. 
And I go, I, I don't, I, I know TV and I know that that's not perfect. Usually you want to have some knowledge about the sports that you're talking about. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, I trust that you'll pick up what you need to pick up, but I want you to come in curious like the audience is curious. He's like, you're not, you're not doing shows in front of people who are horse racing experts all the time. He's like, especially when you're doing the Kentucky Derby. He was like, so I want you to tee up Randy Moss, who we have, and, and Jerry Bailey, who are awesome analysts. Let them be the experts, but you just be the curious onlooker. Ask the questions that the people at home want asked to. I was like, all right, I think I can do that. I was like, how, how basic of questions are we talking? I was like, are the brown horses faster than the gray horses? I was like, no, that would be definitely too basic. Um, but no, and so they had a lot of faith that I could pick it up and that I was curious enough to ask uh, good questions. And that, again, gave me confidence because you go in there and horse racing with its own terminology and own lingo and rugby with its own terminology and lingo. You don't want to sound like a total outsider, even though people can kind of pick up that you haven't lived and breathed this stuff from from the get go. But um, but yeah, you, you do it and you, you have fun. It's all about the analysts anyway. You, you have fun with your analysts and then you make a make an entertaining TV show, hopefully. When you see someone like Mike Chirico, who could drop into a Tuvan throat singing contest and seem like he's covered it for his whole life, <laughs> when you see something like that, you know, does that kind of give you something to aspire for? Or is it just like too intimidating? Like, how can I possibly seem this smooth in every situation? Yes, I think after a couple of years of working real closely with Mike, I came to the realization that I will not be Mike Tirico. I will be doing my own thing in my own path because I will never be that smooth as, as Mike. He, I'll tell you what, he has been one of the best coworkers, if not the best that I've ever had because before I even covered my first horse racing event and he, he followed the sport growing up in, in New York, but he wasn't an expert at it. He had never really covered it on TV until he got to NBC. And before I did my first show, he just called me up out of the blue. I remember where I was. I was in a grocery store parking lot. And I get on the phone, it says Mike Tirico. I was like, all right, I better, better answer this one. Um, and we talked for an hour and he gave me all the tips. He's like, here, this is what helped me. This is what worked for me. Look at the racing forms, look for this, look at this. The research pack does a really good job with this. You wanna highlight these notes. And so we talked for an hour on the things that made it easier for him um, to cover the sport. And so at that point I realized like, this is like, it comes naturally to Mike, but he does the work. Like that's what for him, it's like he prides himself on having that depth of knowledge because that way you can go on TV and be as calm as Mike Tirico is. Because you're like, I've looked up everything I need to look up. I know everything I need to know about this topic. And now I can confidently convey that to the audience. And so that's what I picked up from Mike. And along with the fact that I will never be as, as smooth as him. But I, that, that's the cool thing about NBC is that we all have our own unique things you know I, I bring running the bases like Mike wouldn't do that and he said you shouldn't do that is what Mike would tell me but you know that's what that's what I did that one day um, but Mike has been an incredible incredible teammate and the fact that he does all the different sports too it's kind of in the DNA of of NBC because I think a lot of young people getting into the business being like what do you want to do when you grow up I want to cover football it's like all right it might be like a three-month job like what, what else are you going to do then but Mike embodies the fact that you've got to be a generalist and that's hard sometimes because you do feel like you're on an island you don't know what you're talking about but i think in today's business it's the best way to secure full-time full-time employment is to kind of be able and be willing to do a, a whole bunch of different things even if it's outside your comfort zone all right and i'll get you out of here on uh this this uh, final question here future of the industry 
you know, what do you see 10, 15, 20 years from now? Do you see yourself still broadcasting sports? And do you see sports broadcasting still being the kind of industry that when you were in college, you wanted to get into? Because we see all the layoffs. We know how much the industry is changing. Uh, do you see this being a place that you'll be in and being a place that people who are young, 20-something years old, and as in being born right now, because in 20 years, they'll be 20-something years old, do you see them wanting to be in it? I hope so. I hope so, for some of the same reasons that I said that I, I want the Kentucky Derby to be strong, just because I think that there's nothing else that that brings people together, like sports. I mean, at Wrigley Field, 30, 40,000 people all together hanging out. And I mean, what, what else is doing this? Some concerts, yes, but on a regular basis, a nightly basis, thousands and thousands of people caring about something that it's like, why do we care about it? It's just, a, it's just a game, but life is just a bunch of different games. I think the stock market's a game, everything's a game. So why not just have a game that brings people together? Because I think that's the, that's the human experience, right? We're all together. We're all cheering, rooting, emotional together. Um, that's a big picture way of saying that I don't know what it will look like in five years, but I hope it looks the same, if not even better. Like it, and it could look different in, in a way that I don't even envision it right now where the young kids have taken over. The Pat McAfee has figured something out. Not that Pat's necessarily young, but it's like a, a different vibe and there's a different way of doing sports media. And the guy with a tie, Ahmed Fareed, you know, standing up there with a microphone, that's antiquated, that's old, that does die, but something new replaces it that's fresh and, and we all get excited about. Um, I think that's definitely very real. And so um, there's just too much good stuff with sports. There's, there's too many fun times, there's too many exciting moments in my life watching sports and being around sports that I can't imagine going through life without, without having those highs and lows of following my Detroit Lions and being excited when they you know, have a 500 season or the Tigers through a lot of those years. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I have no idea what the industry will look like, but I hope for all of our sakes that it's, it's still fun. It still brings out the, the kids and, and that we can all congregate around some of these huge, huge moments and, and awesome achievements by the top athletes in, in their games. So that's, that's, that's my way of saying, I have no idea. Well, nonetheless, some good thoughts there and uh, a nice way to end. Uh, thank you so much for taking so much time today to talk. A uh, really great discussion and uh, good luck going forward. You have more MLB coming up uh, this weekend. And, uh, of course, after that's over, right into football season. Well, you two keep up the good work, too. I listen every week. I'm ready for the ratings talk. Maybe we'll float you some uh, Peacock ratings for one of our MLB games if they're really good. I know that's the only way it'll probably happen. So, uh, but no, uh, I, I appreciate you guys talking about our business and uh, keep up the good work, guys. All right. That was a great talk with the Medford. Hope you all enjoyed it. We'll have more from that interview later in the week. But uh, for now, that's going to do it for us. Uh, and uh, Drew, we're coming up on the 4th of July. You know, it never occurred to me, could we even do a show next week? I mean, to, next Tuesday is literally the 4th of July. So are we going to tape on, on Independence Day? That's a great question. Um, you know, I have committed to to a barbecue, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't even think about that being on a Tuesday. 
Um, so maybe, I don't know. I'll, I'll have an open line of communication with you this week and we'll, and we'll determine that. Um, I do have some ideas cooking up for some summer podcasts that yeah. you know, might take us a little bit away from, you know, directly covering the ratings as you know there's not too many good rating stories this time of year and uh get into some more sports media topics generally um i i think i those will be of interest to our listeners all right well don't know if we'll have a show next week i'll keep you all updated on that obviously next tuesday is the fourth of july we typically tape on tuesdays but uh yeah keep uh listening to the podcast and uh you know, don't forget to give us a positive review if you like, and uh, we'll come back uh, either next week or the week after with more sports media news. So uh, have a great week, and we'll see you down the road. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.